When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this is something that we had not scripted. It's just straight up the world taking care of us, that there was a little piece of wind that started to blow on her skirt, and it actually blew her towards the past, if you were to think of it as a timeline. And then she turns around and she starts walking against the wind towards her present and the future. And at the end of it, she uh, sees her husband there in her home. everyone and welcome to the awardist where we are chatting with the actors creators and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2024 oscars race it's almost over i'm entertainment weekly executive editor jared hall and after a few weeks away he's back our resident oscars expert joey nolfi hey how are you i'm fine did you miss me so our guest today is <laughs> <laughs> I love. I should have known what that answer was going to be when you decided to give me a horror movie intro. Horror. Oh well. Yeah. We, yeah. That's that's fair. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we did miss you on here um, because uh, there's been so much going on with this award season. Uh, this past week, particularly, has been um, quite busy. So we're going to get into a lot of that. But I will let folks know first that our guest today is Celine Song, director <gasps> of Best Picture nominee Past Lives. She unfortunately did not get one of those uh, director slots. I was so yes. hoping and pulling for that, but she is a nominee for that movie's original screenplay which just i mean it wrecks me every time i watch this yeah. movie um yeah so it's just a it's a it's an incredible film and um it's funny as i i don't know if you've had this experience joey as just speaking with with friends people in the industry or whatnot and of course you know lots of events that uh have been going on out here and people ask okay so what are your like just your top three and past lives is always in there for me and everyone just oh my god yes i love this film so much um it, people just can't get enough of it um which just makes me so happy yeah uh definitely uh, i think it's my number three of the year um mm. behind Saltburn and poor things so uh love that movie so much yeah it's fantastic all right well um so on that note final oscar voting kicks off Today, and it ends on the 26th, uh, so just uh, five short days. Um, A few things could still impact how voters mark those ballots. So let's start with some ceremonies that just happened uh, briefly here. The Annie Awards uh, for Animated Films and Series. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse took home the award for Best Feature. The other nominees there were Nimona, Suzume, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and The Boy and the Heron. Suzume and Turtles did not get Oscar nominations. Instead, those slots went to Elemental and uh, Robot Dreams. Uh, Joey, any um, hot take there from you on uh, Spider-Man winning Best Feature at the Annie's? Jared, did you just did you did, did you just ask me for a hot take on a superhero movie? <laughs> well, on an Oscar nominee, yes, I did ask you about that. <laughs> I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. <laughs> beep beep boop. Bop. <laughs> the Annie's are not necessarily something that i'm uh 
as focused on as other precursor awards bodies, but I do think you can kind of read into the sentiment there, there is sentiment here building for Spider-Man. And I mean, the first one, one best animated feature, this one is likely to, but I, I'm still predicting boy and the heron. I, I think that the emotional sentiment behind that, uh, is is very strong and it also just won at BAFTA so yeah um I think that there's still a chance that that could win because this very likely is Miyazaki's final film so right um I yeah I think that there's enough emotional sentiment there and if Spider-Man yeah. wins I think it will be on name recognition alone that people in the whole academy mm. are sort of voting for the Spider-Man movie mm-hmm. yeah well to your point that's exactly why I asked because uh, I mean I guess it really is down to like two films and and yeah. uh, if you know people are looking for what to vote for it gets really interesting uh, that it's down to like that there are two films um, and not really one clear runaway winner in this category. Like True. there certainly have been in years past. Um, but you mentioned that that movie won at the BAFTA. So let's talk about the uh, the BAFTA Awards, which were last weekend. Uh, best <sighs> film, Oppenheimer. Actress, Emma Stone. Supporting actress, Davine Joy Randolph. Supporting actor, Robert Downey Jr. We've heard those four a lot. But then actor, Killian Murphy, not Paul Giamatti, but... Like, is there really anything to take from that? Because because here's the thing. At the 2023 BAFTAs, none of those winners won Oscars. So, like, yeah. This is the only category that is still, of the big six, that is still uh, cause, giving me some turmoil here. I <laughs> yeah. want to say that it's maybe hometown advantage home field right. advantage because Killian right. is from Ireland and this is by the very nearby UK so yeah. I just <sighs> which I think certainly contributed last year to yes. like Carrie Condon and Barry Keoghan winning for right. Banshees of Anna Sharon yeah absolutely and I think that it just so happens that the European leaning nominee here is mm-hmm. or well no actually because Barry was in this it was in this category too. So I guess Barry also kind of maybe had a shot on that note um, with the Carrie Condon and uh, statistic that you referenced from last year. But um, this is one that where it's going to come down to SAG. Uh, I think that the holdovers and Paul Giamatti, that's a more, as I said in my Oscars predictions article, I think that it's a more, it's a performance that you kind of feel more than mm-hmm. Killian's performance. Killian per- yeah. performance, you kind of see it. And yes. it's kind of all over the place or, and not in a bad way, but it's like, uh, it, it's very in your face and Paul's yeah, yeah. is very much in your chest. So mm. I think that that is important when it comes to passion voting. So I, I'm still on Paul here for the Oscar, mm-hmm. but, uh, definitely Killian winning at BAFTA does not hurt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of those speeches, I mean, you look, uh, Emma Stone and Davine both got a bit emotional during their speeches. Robert yeah. Downey Jr. was very Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, um, uh, Christopher Nolan calling him up and trying to save his career, um, joking <laughs> about that. Um, so it's, you know, that ev- everyone's doing like all the right things. No, none of those folks certainly have had any missteps along the way. Um, so it does feel like things are really going to come down to the SAG Awards. So let's talk about yeah. those. Those are uh, this Saturday. They'll be streaming live at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific on Netflix. Um, and EWM people, we will be live on the red carpet starting at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. You can watch that on EW.com. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the the big f- five categories here, starting with Motion Picture Cast. This is the Ensemble Award. 
Where the nominees are American Fiction, Barbie, The Color Purple, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. Where do you think that one's leaning? Cast, this is a tough one because <laughs> Color Purple is the one that you would think on paper is like, that's the ensemble there. It's a mm-hmm. huge, I- extremely eclectic t- group of performances from a very big wide range of people from the entertainment industry you have recording artists like Halle Bailey and Sierra and you also have uh Fantasia uh, as well obviously from the recording industry all just giving amazing performances and then you have someone like Danielle Brooks who is popular for her work in a major SAG award winning television show and then Taraji and Anjanou Ellis who are like Academy Award nominated performers so it's just such a wide and Coleman also nominated right. individually for his work this year. So yeah. it's just such a wide range of people. And you would think that that is going to be the one that is the very easy, like, yes, that's going to win. But I just think sentiment for the color purple has just dwindled so much in yeah. recent months. I just, I don't quite understand it. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and also uh fantasia did not get a nomination here at sag right. either individually she did at bafta but not here mm-hmm. so um that that that's one of the biggest i think embarrassments of this award season is the fact that the color purple didn't go anywhere else besides mm-hmm. getting this you know cast nomination here mm-hmm. can we hit uh, pause this, for a second on that yeah i'm yeah, curious yeah. do you have a theory about why it fizzled uh no i i really that's something that i can't wrap my head around i've tried to i've, I've thought maybe was it more like uh what's the right word like snooty people were Mm. offended by what taraji said on the press trail but maybe Mm -hmm. that was too late to have really had too much of an impact um i don't know i really don't know uh it seemed to be doing well at the box office on its first few days of release and then sort of fell off yeah so it's not really going to be a profitable movie either i i just Mm -hmm. i i don't really know what happened with this one because it seemed like there was a lot of sentiment going into it the movie is great the performances are great and then it just kind of yeah i I don't know i I really don't know what happened i've wondered about the taraji aspect as well but i also feel like it just opened too late Um, i agree i fully agree I, you know, because that, um, that Christmas and those last couple weeks of the year used to be a sweet used spot. Used to be and a I good just, one. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't think they are anymore. No. Because, um, I mean, all of yeah. the movies like Oppenheimer came out in what? July? Yeah. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon debuted at Cannes. Anatomy of a right. Fall won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Like yep. Barbie was a I think we'd be having a different conversation too. about all of us strangers if it had opened sooner. Absolutely. I think that we're yeah. seeing now that. It's the old model of Oscar campaigning is completely changing. And what these voters are paying attention to is completely changed from even 10, 15 years ago. So quote unquote Oscar season now is kind of like the tail end of award season. It's kind of like a dumping month, honestly, now December, like December is not the, the star making, uh, or, or the contender making month. Right. November and December, they're, they're just not that anymore. If you're releasing in November and December, you better have had a huge mm. festival run behind mm-hmm. you, like Poor Things, like Killers of the Flower Moon, um, yeah. like American Fiction. So right. yeah. it's yeah, it's just not, yeah. not what it used to be. But So I that think, tangent aside. <laughs> back that to, tangent aside. <clears throat> I think Killers is out. Mm. I think Color Purple is out. I... I I think it's between American fiction and Oppenheimer. Mm, um, okay. Uh, 
God, I don't know. I I, I think it's probably going to be Oppenheimer just because of the star power in it and the fact that the movie is the inevitable best picture winner at this point. So yeah, it's probably going to be Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. I, you know what I think is interesting there too, though, is that I think on the surface, people are going to think like uh, Oppenheimer. Oh my God, that huge cast and all those great people. And someone just pops in for a scene here and there. But by the way, those people who just pop in for a scene here and there, don't win this award. They aren't actually one of the, right. you know, names on the on the long list. Correct, correct. And yeah, because of SAG's weird right. rules about like you have to have a what like an individual title card or something. You can't have a title card that's like shared with other people. A certain and, number of people, which right? Is that makes it absolutely even more ab- absurd that Rami Malek has. <laughs> a um nomination here yeah. uh but because he he got his own individual title card so right. he gets the the nomination here even though Kudos there's other to those uh agents and managers how they negotiated that. yes exactly <laughs> there because there are other performers that are in this movie a lot more that uh did not get this this yeah. nomination here uh but then it also could be barbie i don't know there's enough sentiment but i think yeah. if any group is going to act on the quote unquote not real snub narrative mm. that is fueling mm-hmm. Barbie. It's going to be the actors because mm-hmm. the whole group votes on this. So mm-hmm. that's where we could maybe see the Barbie pushback come. But yeah, I think there's too much of a powerful tide building behind Oppenheimer and in, in other races. So we're just seeing it dominate in too many other places. I don't think yeah. SAG's going to be the one to deviate. Yeah, um, I'd say, I think I'm still with you there. Probably Oppenheimer, um, but I will not be surprised at all if Barbie or The Color Purple uh, take this one. Um, I would love it to be The Color Purple. I think yeah. uh, if I was personally voting, I would vote for The Color Purple for sure. All right, let's move on to male actor in a leading role where the nominees are Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo, you mentioned him earlier, for Rustin, Paul Giamatti, The Holdovers, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction. And these are uh, all five of the Oscar nominees as well. So how we think this plays out. Again, it's between Paul and Killian. I would not be surprised if Killian takes it, but I'm still betting on Paul here. Just because, again, like I said, I think that that performance is easier to die, to to feel than it is to mm-hmm. necessarily see as like a uh, not saying Killian's yeah. as a chewing scenery performance, but it's 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 right. more of a physical kind of kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say Paul probably here. OK, uh, female actor in a leading role. Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Margot Robbie for Barbie, Emma Stone for Poor Things. Uh, four of these five are Oscar nominees. Swap out Margot Robbie for Sandra Ulla in uh, Anatomy of a Fall. And they're, uh, they're your top five at the Oscars. Uh, this one feels like probably a, a, an Emma Stone or Lily Gladstone. Uh, Emma Stone for sure. Yep. Um, and okay. I am going to say, Jared, when this season is over, I'm going to miss you saying Sandra's name. Um, if you could just Sandra Ula, <laughs> Sandra Ula. Um, that's one of been the, one of the highlights of this season for me. But uh, yeah, a uh, Emma Stone. I think it's 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 slowly but surely shifted to become Emma Stone's category. 
Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah. that it is. It's definitely Emma. All right. Let's talk about male actor in a supporting role. Nominees, Sterling K. Brown, American Fiction, Willem Dafoe, Poor Things, Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, <laughs> Ryan Gosling, Barbie. Uh, four of those five are also Oscar nominees. Swap Willem Dafoe for Mark Ruffalo, also in Poor Things. And there are your Oscar uh, noms. Uh, Downey's been... Kind of taking this, I wondered if there was ever going to be a moment where Ryan Gosling swoops in, um, but it doesn't seem like it, does it? No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, if 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 freaking BAFTA is giving the award to Robert Downey Jr., if I had hope for one awards body to not award this performance, it would have been BAFTA. Mm -hmm. But BAFTA just went along with the tide. They went along with the narrative. Um, it's so weird because we think so much. We we say that this group that th- these groups don't vote with the hive mind mentality, but they actually kind of do sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, there is no world in which you are going to con- that anybody voting for Robert Downey Jr. is going to sit down and convince me that this performance is the best supporting performance of the year. You're just not. It, it's it, it, it's it's a it's, great it's Downey not, performance. But it's, it's great for him, but yeah. it's not that this is not an Oscar performance. I'm sorry. It's not. Um, but that said, I, um, I, I was, I was very intrigued by him. I, I, I was always interested when he popped up on screen because I also never knew what this guy was really up to. And anyway, um, it's, I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed him. Um, but if we're really looking at like what a performance was this year to me that's ryan gosling i mean i don't know it's just oh yeah i go with someone else i don't know that uh, to be completely honest i don't know that i am necessarily i would call myself a fan of any of these performances Mm. um probably you'd strike all five and give it to who from this year um of the oscar nominees I would say Mark Ruffalo is probably my mm. my favorite. Um, I think that his work is is really good in that film. Yes. Yeah. The others, I'm j- I'm trying to think of of who else. I, I don't know. It's always hmm. Maybe would Teo you be considered supporting or uh, lead? He, well, he was a lead at BAFTAs, so yeah, that's, that's true. an interesting. That's yeah. True. I I kind I would almost put him in supporting though. I, mm-hmm. I think that that's Greta Lee's story, and I, I, I think that any any other performance in that is is supporting to her. So I, mm-hmm. I would probably say Teo would be my my win. I like for that this. pick a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can get behind that. I can. Get I even think that. Jacob Elordi was was great in Saltburn. I don't know that he I'd was. nominate him, but I think that he was great. Um, I I, I think he was good in Priscilla too. Um. I think it's fantastic in Priscilla. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that would, that, that might be in there for, if I denominate, those would be the two off the top of my head would be Jacob Elordi for Priscilla and Teo for past lives. Mark Ruffalo for poor things. Um, I also really enjoyed Dominic Sessa in the holdovers. Um, I don't know. I'm on that support train. I think he was fantastic uh, in that film. And for his first film ever, first thing he's ever done, he was great. He kind of annoyed me, to be honest. Well, that was the um, point. That was the character. I know, but it, it was like too much. 
<laughs> it was it was mm. too much where I'm like it, it might be the person and not the performance in that game. <laughs> I don't know. I've met him Y'all, at a I'm couple of events. from the He's drag very... race fandom. This is what you got to deal with. <laughs> we tell uh, yeah, it like it yeah. is. Jared's yeah, like yeah. thinking in his every no. time I come on Jared's like where can we cut? Where can we cut? <laughs> no, it's I it's disagreement is good. Um and that's that's the point of art. Anyway. Yes. Um okay, so Downey and then moving on to female actor in a supporting role, Emily Blunt yeah. for Oppenheimer, Daniel Brooks, The Color Purple, Penelope Cruz, Ferrari, Jodie Foster, Nyad, Davine, Joy Randolph, The Holdovers. Uh just swap Penelope Cruz for um America Ferreira, and those are the Oscar nominees. But here at SAG, I mean, it's Davine, right? It's for sure Davine. There's she is the only one of all of these categories that has literally won everything. everything. Well, actually, no, Robert Downey Jr. too. Actually, I think has won mm. everything, right? Um, Feels like yeah, it. She, yeah, 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 yeah. She she is, and that, again, just a wonderful performance. Um, yeah. she is been working so hard for so long and has been in yes. like all these little tiny roles and it, yeah. it's it's great to finally see her get this recognition because she is great in literally mm-hmm. everything that she does yeah uh i just wish that danielle brooks in the color purple would just would have had a little bit more weight behind them because i think in a different year i think danielle probably would have won mm-hmm. and taraji would have yeah. been nominated so yeah yeah, I agree. Honestly, I think Taraji still should be nominated. I agree. Uh, there are a couple of folks in the mix who, <laughs> good for them, is how I yeah, will word it and leave it at yeah. that. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah. All right. So uh, with all that said, how about we do this? We are going to take a quick break, Joey. When we come back, oh. Past Lives, Oscar-nominated writer, Celine Song. I cannot oh. wait. The awardist will be right back. Welcome back to The Awardist. Earlier in 2023, I suppose it was May, when I first saw this film, Past Lives, um, I have to admit it was actually a a mix-up in my schedule. I thought I was going to another screening and Past Lives started, and I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought I was at. Um, And I'm so thrilled that Past Lives ended up being the movie that I was seeing that day and not whatever else I had in my calendar. Um, It is just a... My God, it uh, it emotionally wrecked me. I didn't know I needed it that day, but I did. And um, it's just been a film that I I I don't think I've stopped thinking about for the seven months, uh, eight months since I saw it um, and have seen it a couple more times since then. Uh, so now I am uh, just honored and thrilled that she joined us for this week's episode of The Awardist, Past Lives writer and director Celine Song. Uh, well, Celine Song, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on the Awardist podcast. I'm so happy to to be speaking with you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yeah, well, uh, uh, folks, I think know by now we've we've said it elsewhere in the podcast that you are uh, a first time Oscar nominee for your original screenplay. The film also nominated for uh, Best Picture. I, I I can't imagine what that day must have been like for you when those nominations came through. Well, it was so incredible because I think that because it's also the first movie I've ever made, right. that I think the complete honor of that and the complete excitement of that, the unreal, uh, the unreal feeling of that, I think was so totally overwhelming. I think there is an interview out there where I swear a lot and I feel really bad about it. 
<laughs> I was, but I think that really does reflect the, how excited I got. And I think there's something about that where it's like, it is just the, you know, the highest honor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And for it to be for the debut feature, I just feel like that, the, that kind of also makes me feel welcomed in by the filmmaking community where yeah. I hope to, uh, call home. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll dig in a little more in depth in that in just a minute, but I got to ask like, what was that? Um, it, it's so interesting being at the Oscar nominees luncheon and for press, we're kind of, you know, fly on the wall and just kind of observing and, and seeing everyone. Um, but what was that day like for you getting to be with gosh, over well over a hundred other fellow nominees there? That was so fun. I feel like the class photo moment was like my favorite thing <laughs> yeah. on this uh, trail so far where I just it, love that there was no uh, rhyme or reason or power yeah. or uh, structure to it. It was such a simple thing of like whoever is a little bit taller or a little bit shorter. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like who was at what table and who got called first and who got called second. It was, yeah. we were being organized so beautifully in this random way. And I think I just love standing there with people, so many people I admire who have made so many movies that I really loved and, I think that that was really special. And for us to do this like goofy class photo with, yeah. you know, so many, I think that was my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love watching that whole thing come together. Um, were there any, did you have any um, like interactions, conversations with folks there that, you know, it's something you will not soon forget? Well, I think that anytime that something that was really true is that before that nominees lunch, mm -hmm. uh, I actually, uh, the only people that I hadn't met uh, before the nominees lunch was were the people who were in the documentary sec uh, mm. section and also the short film section, mm -hmm. both live action and animation. I didn't meet some of the people in the animation. So I think in that way, I got to uh, meet people that I hadn't met before. And I really love that. And I think uh, throughout, there's so many amazing filmmakers, like legendary, uh, you know, historical filmmakers mm -hmm. Who, whose conversation I've uh, been so blown away by and so cherished and to learn that they watched the movie, to learn that they love past lives, like all of that is so amazing. But I think that nothing, still nothing uh, touches me so uh, deeply as when somebody comes up to me, no matter who you are, and tells me that they really needed uh, past mm. lives. You know, mm -hmm. that they they say, like, I actually needed this movie. It's more that I loved it and wanted it so that I actually realized that I needed it. And yeah. to have been able to make uh, something that uh, for all, all of us, my whole team, to make a movie that somebody feels that they need it, I think mm -hmm. that's the most mm -hmm. incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of us who, I will admit, also needed it, didn't know I needed it. You know, it's one of those that you're watching and... I, I I was telling uh, uh, some some folks that as I was watching it, you, I just kind of you feel the emotion just kind of collecting in your chest uh, as as the story builds and um, especially the climactic scene, which we will break down a bit more um, later in the conversation. It just I, I just felt myself. I was like, if she doesn't cry, I'm certainly going to. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it um, it's it's just such a beautiful film. So congratulations on it. Thank you so much. Of course. So. Uh, as you mentioned, your your feature uh, debut, your career prior to this had all essentially been on stage in, in theater. Mm -hmm. But is this an idea that you had been playing around with for a while and we're figuring out what to do with it? And, and how did you land on that 
a movie was the right way to go. Well, I think I knew that it was uh, it had to be a movie because of the nature of the story, Mm. because uh, this is a story that spans uh, many decades and two different continents. And my joke about it is always that the villain of the story is not is not a person in the movie, but it's the Pacific Ocean. And the 24 years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in that way, you have to be able to feel uh, Seoul and New York City coexisting and being different and the same. And you also have to see the 12-year-old children and uh, grown-up actor and actress who are then uh, also coexisting exactly the same and different. So I think in that way, it needed to have a kind of a contrasting of uh, different parts of our lives. And it also had to uh, be, you know, be cut in a way where you're transported from one place to another smoothly. This is not one of the strengths of theater. And I, I've worked in theater for long enough to know that that's not really what theater is about necessarily. It's actually so much, it is such a cinematic language that I needed to tell the story. So that really was the initial thing. As for playing around with it, it really was uh it all started from this one moment uh, in my own life where I found myself sitting in a bar between my uh, childhood friend who had come to visit me from South Korea and my husband that I live with in New York City. And I was translating between these two people um, in culture and language. And eventually I realized that I'm translating between two parts of my own self and my own history. And I think that really was the I would say that like the next day I was feeling like, huh, maybe I'll write something about that. You got to do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. So that opening scene is pulled straight out of your life. <laughs> yeah. That uh, scene I think is the launch point and that was the inspiration for the whole film. Yeah. Uh, it really was about uh, building the, a film around uh, that moment because that mm-hmm. feeling is so amazing because you yeah. f- realize that you're having a drink with your past, the present and the future. Mm-hmm. you know, at this bar. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I had a feeling that this is not a unique feeling. I had a feeling that this is a feeling that so many of us have mm-hmm. had before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I think is so cool about that scene is that, of course, we don't know what is being said. You're just hearing other patrons of the bar, which I have absolutely done sitting in bars or restaurants. Like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. And that's what I think is so cool is the way you just let that unfold and bring it all back. Um, and then we do finally know what is being said. It's it's such a cool way into the story. Um, yeah. From the writing perspective, then. Was there, what was the scene perhaps that was, and maybe there wasn't one that was hard since this is a, you know, something you kind of live yourself, but one that was hardest to get right, perhaps one that you kind of kept rewriting and finessing as you went along. I would say that scene at the bar at the end. Oh, at the end, the flip yeah, side of, of course, it. Okay. The flip side of it, because that's the conversation where the whole, uh, <laughs> uh, all of Nora's worlds have to collapse and become one. Right. So I think it's really about how do we uh, let these characters be true to each other and uh, and even more true and then even more true, even more true until uh, they're really talking about what the whole movie is about. Right. And I think that, you know, uh, the structure of the film is there is a bit of it where it is a mystery story where the opening scene is about the question of who are these three people to each other? And then by the time that we're in that scene again, near the end of the film, the audience has uh, become the detective 
now that has some answers, <laughs> right? They've been gathering evidence and now they can maybe answer the question, who are these three people to each other? And I think that that's really the uh, structural thing that I needed to crack from before I could write the whole film. Yeah. Mm. So, oh, wow. Even so, even before you wrote it, that was the got to get this right. Well, that makes sense, though. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Greta, we, we've talked, uh, mentioned, of course, some of the uh, the characters, but Greta Lee, who's just, my God, so <gasps> phenomenal in this. Perfect. Um, she really is. She really is. But she um, she shared with us when we spoke with her several months ago uh, for this podcast, um, she shared that how she, she had auditioned for the movie at one point. She didn't get it. A year later, gets a call saying like, hey, we'd like to see you again, some recasting or whatever, you know, might be going on. But that's my question. What, what did kind of happen during that year between? Well, I think it was just that uh, we, I thought that maybe the whole uh, film need to be cast around the actor for Hesong. And the mm. actor that we we're talking to for Hesong uh, was frankly, uh, uh, you know, like somebody who uh, didn't feel like that'd be a great uh, match to uh, Greta, right? So Got it was it. really not about at all about uh, who she was or how she was. It was so much mm -hmm. more about um, how do we start building it? And then, yeah. of course, I think, though, when that um, particular piece of casting uh, fell apart, I was like, well, the movie has always been about Nora. So I just need somebody. I feel like I need to start with Nora and who's the perfect Nora. Mm -hmm. And actually, in that situation, the first person that we called was Greta. So, mm -hmm. yeah, in her experience, it may have been that she was like, oh, well, <laughs> I was the, you know, whatever choice. But for right. me, it was like, well, the moment that I was like, well, who should be Greta? Oh, sorry, who should be Nora? The first mm -hmm. thought I had was like, well, I, I want to meet Greta Lee. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you you had not forgotten about her by any means. No, I have certainly not. I have certainly yeah. not. But it was it's more like uh, it has to be the right uh, combination of actors, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. that's because when it's about when a movie is about uh, three people and their faces, right? The sort of the sunrise and the sunset of their faces as they encounter uh, extraordinary events in an ordinary life. I think that I, it needs to be about the way that people are and the way that they can connect to each other. So the casting then has to be about uh, who everybody is as a person and how it aligns with uh, who the characters are, right? Yeah. And I don't write for actors. I write the characters first, and then I look for actors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was <laughs> yeah. there um, – what is, what is something she brought to Nora that you – weren't necessarily expecting you know there's a line in the film where she says uh i'm just a girl from korea and i think that i remember being so amazed by the way that our uh, greta has said that line there's something completely uh disarming about the way she says it um it's not strained it's not difficult it is like effortless it's kind of a beautiful acceptance that she has and i think that what she brings is uh what i need these characters, these actors to bring to the characters, which is the amazing contradiction that is in all of us, which is the fact that uh, we're no longer 12, but we are in a way, you know, like Jared, like you, if you and I uh, knew each other when we were 12, right. And then we saw each other now, we might be able to say, do you remember when we were 12? Yeah. And then you and I would be able to be transported back to who we were when we were 12. 
And we would, I think that we would say this about everyone that we knew when we were 12, that it's like, well, in a way, um, I know that I am, I still have some of the things I was when I was 12, but I'm actually very different. So which is it? Are you still 12 or are you no longer 12? So I think that that contradiction is something that had to be embodied by the way that the actors are. So Greta, you know, she's so professional. I mean, you've spoken to her. She's so professional. She's so adult. She's a mother. She's uh, an incredible force and a very powerful person. But when she's teasing you, when she's making jokes, when she's vulnerable, she suddenly feels about 11. Right? <laughs> yeah. She suddenly feels so young. And yeah. I think that to me is, and you can just see it in her face that she, uh, what she was like when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's a quality that I really needed from this mm-hmm. character more than anything. Yeah. That's such an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Because you can, that, that playful spirit, um, it, it really lives in her and, and comes out in such a, such a fun, beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, trying to, you know, find the right Sung, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you eventually found Tao Yu. Uh, tell me about that. Like when, when you saw his tape, was it just an instant like, or met in a, in person, whatever it might've been, was it an instant like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, the heavens, the angels sang. And the, was it one of those <laughs> kinds of moments? <laughs> I think it was actually more that when we met, because I called him uh, back. Yeah. And when I met him, and I feel like uh, we were just starting to talk, and he, I remember him smiling, talking about something, and uh, making a joke. And I remember uh, feeling like, huh, look at that. He looks about eight years old, you know, even though, of course, again, he shows up like he's a grown, grown man, right? So there's something about that where, the character also has to embody uh, the contradiction of mm-hmm. uh, being one thing and not the other. And then I feel like uh, I had a feeling when he walked into the Zoom, because we were, it wasn't COVID, so we were doing uh, auditions over Zoom. When he walked into the Zoom room, I remember just feeling like, huh, I just feel like he is the uh, right person for this role because he has such a, what I, what I usually say is that his face is like Times Square, where um, <laughs> the, all the emotions and all the uh, everything that's going through his head is uh, seen like it's on a massive lit up, you know, yeah. <laughs> lit up sign. He, there's something so completely open and expressive about his face that I felt like, oh, I would love to see the the sunrise and sunset of emotions on that face. And I think that really was the um, initial feeling for it. I was like, oh, yeah, like he can do so much without saying a word. Right? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the, the two of them are just incredible together. Your your casting mm-hmm. on this was was perfect, I must say. Um, Thank you. I, as I understand it, as Greta explained to us, there are a couple of things you did here that I think are so smart from a direction standpoint that really serviced your script and and the writing. The first um, being, and, and certainly please uh, correct me if, if any of my explanation of this is incorrect, but mm-hmm. firstly, you, you did not allow um, Greta and Teo to have any kind of physical touch or interaction until they reunite as adults in the park and have that hug. Yes. So uh, (sighs) something that was true is that, again, we don't have VFX or 
uh, costumes that really help the actors go through something really extraordinary. Because I believe that the most extraordinary thing that uh, a a person goes through, uh, an ordinary person goes through, is love in their lives. Mm. So I think in that way, uh, what's happening to them is completely magical. But I don't have anything to really uh, help them with that, with a little bit, of, without except for a little bit of natural lighting, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. A little bit of little bit of beautiful lighting, and um, you know, and the way the camera is going to work. So. It was something, so it always felt worth it to make that extra effort yeah. to uh, accomplish something, to accomplish mm-hmm. um, and really just like help them. It really is about the way that you're uh, helping them through uh, the very human emotion, um, that they uh, have to make it be, again, as clear as a Times Square, <laughs> the lights yeah. of Times Square. Yeah. So. I think that's really the truth of it. But in that scene, the way that I had written it is that, you know, they're looking at it, staring at each other, like they're staring at a ghost. Yeah. Right. Cause how, what a strange thing when you're having a reunion and, uh, you haven't seen this person in person in, uh, ever, you know, in so long, in 24 years, and you actually haven't seen this person grown up in person in 24 years. So that's the kind of a part of it that is like completely. Uh, impossible, and I think that impossibility was deserving of uh, uh, an exercise, like not touching each other, um, because that, of course, then grows the longing. Because right, Nora and Hesong uh, haven't touched each other since they were children, and now they're going to be able to hug each other for the first time, and as adults, that's very di- it's very different to hug a grown uh, person versus a, a child. Fellow child, right? So in that way, it had to feel extraordinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it intentional on your part? And this is something I'm just now thinking because when we see them as children, they're they're at the they're at the playground, they're playing in a park, mm-hmm. and then when they reunite, they're in a park. Was that intentional? or Am I reading into that? Yes, <laughs> it was intentional. No, of course that's of course intentional. Every location is uh, intentional, and they all have to connect to another location. Yeah. Right? And that's true in the production design, that's in the location management. Um, every part of it is a conversation where, like, for example, the uh, street where they say goodbye at the end mm-hmm. is to have a relationship and a kind of mm-hmm. architectural relationship to the uh, place where they say goodbye as uh, children. Right. So oh, there yeah. is a wow. part okay. of it where it has to all connect. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, if you see in the when the when the two kids are uh, say goodbye, mm-hmm. you see behind them there's a small blue door mm-hmm. <laughs> that is then of course be reflected in when they say goodbye as grown children. Oh. So even every piece of uh, every piece of it has to feel connected because this movie is about the connectivity, right? This movie is about the surprising ways that uh, our lives are connected and in ways that are invisible. Or barely visible. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, mind blown right now in this moment. <laughs> ah, it's uh, it makes it all the more special. Um, okay, so then the second thing uh, that you did, you did not allow um, Teo and John Magaro to meet until the uh, the characters do for the first time on camera in Nora and Arthur's apartment. Did did that? Uh, you called it an exercise with um, you know with Greta and Teo, but did that exercise, um, I suppose, pay off in the way you were hoping? 
Yes. I mean, we mm. were rolling when the two actors met for the first time as characters. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that shot is in the film because yeah. that's the best thing we could get for it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the surprise of encountering the person that you've only heard about, that you've only heard about from another person who's getting to know that person well, I think is so shocking. Mm-hmm. So I think that we wanted to be rolling when that happened for the human beings who's playing, who are playing this. Uh, characters too so mm. and the, and i think that what the most important thing about that scene is actually what happens as soon as they meet because we're all looking at this and the way we're shooting it is like as if it's a cowboy standoff a little bit right we're <laughs> yeah. like we're yeah. like sizing each camera. other up yeah <laughs> yeah so and it's like that and there's a moment of silence where they're trying to figure out what we're going to do and our mm. reference was literally a western right we for how we're going to shoot that sh- scene oh, wow. right so we were turning and we basically have these two encounter each other and the uh first thing that happens is that arthur says hello to uh Hesong in korean mm. and in bad korean and then uh Hesong says hello to arthur in bad english and there is something about it where uh this movie is uh written and made bilingually and i'm bilingual and it's and it's that way because uh, it matters uh, tremendously that it is at the heart. That is what is at the heart of the story. It is about uh, two people from uh, different worlds, even in different language, who are trying to uh, understand each other. And that, what an amazing act of care that they have. It's like they could really be, they could show up and they could be really mad at each other. They could walk away from each other. They could punch each other. They could do many different things. But instead, what these two men decide to do is to try to speak in a language that they do not know how to speak so that the other person can feel uh, connected to them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. in that way, uh, that, was such a, uh, that was such a crucial scene. And we talked about the scene a lot. So we prepared a lot for that scene. Um, but, you know, the, the actual thing had to come from the... the what they had to do, which in two languages, and to the they are going to speak in the other person's language, which of course mm-hmm. makes themselves feel more vulnerable and less powerful yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, smart way of doing that one. Um, so you mentioned that you know our big climactic scene on the street, heading off to that Uber. Uh, did you write it that way that it would be a oneer and always in a wide shot? Uh, no, I wrote it as like a, a, an emotional journey, right? Mm. It was so much more about the emotional journey of uh, her walking home and what she's walking home about. So it was actually more instructional for what the performances were going to be. The thing that I did have it written is that the two minutes where they're waiting for the Uber, I wrote that it has to be on actually two minutes. It has to quite very much feel like two minutes. It should feel long and it should feel short at the same time. So that's the way that I sort of uh, explain the thing in the script for, honestly, I feel like I had an idea of how time should work in the script. All the silences, the beats, uh, what's going through their heads, what has to be on their face, like all of those things were scripted. But as for where and how exactly, um, I we had to then uh, find so our, our location manager, our DP, our AD, every single uh, crew member. We all knew because I had made it 
very clear <laughs> that this is the scene that this whole movie hinges on. So we were looking for that street. And when we were, uh, we're it just really took the efforts of my location manager and uh, my DP walking around East Village at night mm. for weeks for them to uh, find that location for the wow. walk home. Yeah, and when they told me that they found it, I remember going there and then, you know, I remember my DP saying, it's like, I think we found the street. And we went and I was like, this is the street. And it really isn't the seeing of it because the street has to feel like a neighborhood street. It has to feel like an ordinary street that a tourist might not notice. But uh, it also has to feel extraordinary and beautiful and perfect. So it's a contradictory uh, instruction for how to find the street. So when we did, it's just the feeling you get when you see that street, right? And we were talking about um, uh, laying 150 feet of track to get that uh, scene in this one very, very long take. We do get into close-ups for a little bit of conversation, but every time we did uh, you know, go from the beginning of that scene to the end in one go, and we did it on that 150 feet of track, and the scene and figuring out the scene uh, unlocked the visual language of the whole movie. So I do think about the scene as the key to the whole film, uh, even though it's the very last scene, you know, <laughs> because uh, the uh, my uh, DP asked me a practical question, which is that uh, which direction is uh, Hesung and Nora are Hesung and Nora walking to the Uber, and which direction? Is Nora going home? And then it clicked for me that it, of course, has to be the horizontal line of her walk home should be treated like a timeline. And she should walk from right the right to left because it is like they're walking, taking a walk uh, down to the past. And then they're going to wait for two minutes for the Zuber where they get to have uh, all the potential and the dream of the child and everything in the world in those two minutes. And then when the Uber comes, the Uber is going to take Hesong and is going to drive him into the past, which is uh, from right to left. And then, right, and then Nora uh, waits there for one moment. And, and this is something that we had not scripted. And I cannot believe that I had not scripted. And it's just straight up uh, the the y world taking care of us, that there was a little piece of wind that started to blow on her skirt and it actually blew her towards the past, if you were to think of it as a timeline. And then she turns around and she starts walking against the wind towards her present and the future. And mm -hmm. at the end of it, she uh, sees her husband there in her home. Mm -hmm. And that's the ending of, the, of that sequence. And then the very, very last shot of the film which is uh, Hesong being driven away to the airport. Uh, the direction again had to reflect what we have set up as the timeline, which is that he will then also get driven from left to right. Mm. I I have to admit, I'm sitting here. I don't know if you can see me. I have uh, reached up and wiped a couple tears away because just <laughs> the way you've explained that is so emotional and beautiful, and it makes uh, such complete sense and and um, 
it's those kinds of touches that a person may not realize upon first watching. And, and I have to say, this is the film I have, uh, of all the movies released last year, I've seen this more than any other film. Um, yeah. and, and I'm going to now watch it again for all of these extra um, touches <laughs> that you're talking about, because it's just, uh, it's really stunning work. Um, so and, and I keep telling folks, I can't wait to see what's next from you. And we <gasps> do know what is coming next from you. Materialists. Yes. That is, uh, the next thing you'll be directing. Um, I mean, I, I I know there there are some names floating, some actors floating. I'll just say, I'm Pedro Pascal, Chris Evans, Dakota Johnson, uh, a, a, a rom com. What um what what makes you most excited about this as your next project? You know what, what makes me the most excited is getting behind the camera. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm really excited. I can't wait to uh make this movie, and I can't wait to talk to you about it when I've made it. I hope you yeah. uh, have me on again. That'd be amazing. Yes, we will certainly speak with you again. And I'm, I would assume there's probably a, perhaps a, a, a different level of confidence now that comes with the first ones behind you. You know, the second film uh, might be less less nerves involved. Yes, I feel like I actually know just uh, how a movie gets made, which I just yeah. never knew before. So in that way, like when I see a schedule or a budget, for example, like I know how to understand it in a way that like before it was a little bit abstract. But now that I've made a movie, when I look at it, um, I understand it. And I think that's mm -hmm. the part that makes me feel so good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well so um, of course. Well, lots of folks uh, certainly uh, you talk about that making you feel good. A lot of folks felt good watching your film. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm going to I'm going to do it again. Uh, congratulations on it. And, and thank you so much for for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This yeah, was so fun. Of course. Well, she could not be more lovely, and I'm so excited to see where the rest of her career goes. Of course, a lot of it's spent on stage, but with this film here, I think she is uh, she has charted a whole new course for herself, and uh, I'm I'm so excited to see what else Celine does. Um, Joey, that film, I, as I mentioned before, we got into the interview. It's one of those films I can't stop thinking about, and in particular, I can't stop thinking about the scene where, um, as adults. Um, Haesung visits her in New York and they see each other for the park in the first time. And there's just oh, that, like yeah. they kind of stand at a distance and then they finally get to, yeah. And then they finally hug. Uh, it just, you could kind of feel all of the years of, uh, just kind of like longing to physically reconnect with that You're person. hanging on the end of every moment of every breath of every line that they uh, say. And seriously, like little, it's just, oh, it's I'm so telling good. you, I just think it's just a beautiful film. What, what, what's so what's the scene you can't stop thinking about? Your favorite the part? The scene that I can't stop thinking about is the scene that happened approximately two minutes ago where you revealed that you accidentally saw the film, um, <laughs> which is endlessly uh, hilarious Look, lots of screenings in my calendar um, and i just forgot to update it <laughs> jared that is one of the funniest things i have heard you say on this podcast that you're like you're like yeah i accidentally uh saw this amazing i stuff. just um, gotta be honest so, about it yeah so i my favorite and spoiler for all who have not seen it yet if you haven't seen it i mean oh. what's wrong with you but uh <laughs> the, the last scene is just can't uh. i mean just oh I get and and to, though, to clarify, because it. a lot of people call there's a specific scene that a lot of people refer to as the last, but there is actually a scene after it. You mean the getting in the Uber? Yes. Yeah. 
Wait, what's after that? Well, because then he's, they're both in the car. You see them like in the cars and like close up shots of them. Oh, um, oh, as, yeah. yeah. So it, it's more just kind of like them going separate ways. But yes, yes, the, yes, yes, the yes Getting yes. in the Uber. My the Lord. Climax. The climax. Yes. The Uber climax. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it just, uh, it, ugh, it just, the way it me. tracks and oh, just so good. holds on them. It's never in a close up. Uh, I'm not going to cry on this podcast, Jared. <laughs> I know. I, it's uh, I if I recall when I interviewed Greta Lee about this film, I started to get a little teary eyed, and I was like, okay, hold on a second now. Um, yeah, it just what a scene, and you because you could feel, I could, you could, I was feeling with her that like the built up emotion and like I felt my chest getting tight, and I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna cry in this theater. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it happened. Um, you've never cried in a movie theater before. Jared? Oh no, I certainly have. But okay. in that moment, it was just the way that like it, it built up and just the way the camera was following her or, and well, and it, because it's a whole thing too, in the movie, they talk about, you know, she talks about how like she doesn't cry very often. And so in that moment, when she breaks down, it's just like, ah, oh, like this is, this is the guy, this is the reason the thing she's going to cry about. It's beautiful. Ah, yeah. And that's all you have to say about it. All right. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying. I can tell. I can I'm tell. I roll. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Um, all right. Well, I think that is going to be it for this episode, Joey. Anything else to uh, add in here before we say goodbye? Um, I would just say make sure you see all good movies on purpose. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I that was my intent. I don't even know what I was going to see, but anyway, I'm glad it was past lives. Not, by the way, not past um, lives. <laughs> no. But by the way, folks, that movie is available to stream for Paramount Plus with Showtime subscri uh, subscribers, and you can also rent or buy it on digital platforms. Um, all right. Well, I'm not going to give you any more opportunities to speak. So with that, Joey, no! <laughs> goodbye, and thanks for being here on wow, this episode of the Wordist. <laughs> I've been silent. Justice for anyone. Um. Justice for everyone except Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh, oh, saucy and sassy. My goodness. All right. Well, folks, that is this week's episode of The Awardist. If you like the tea and the shade that you're hearing here, you can follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on X, formerly known as Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall, and you can uh, complain to Joey <laughs> about yeah. this. His disses at, at Joey Nolfi. All right, folks, we will see you back here not next week. We're going to take a week off. The week after that, we will be back with our final Oscar winner predictions and maybe a little more industry tea. We'll see. But we will see you back here then and every day at EW.com. This episode of The Awardist is hosted and produced by Jared Hall and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.